Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. The Limitless podcast was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community that show that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Another great episode is in store for you. Um, I'm just going to explain a little bit what we're doing today. So about a week ago, we had a family retreat in the Okanagan for families who live in that region uh, with kids who are from birth to age five. So families who are are fairly new to raising a child with a visual impairment. And as part of that program, we had a panel evening where I asked questions of some young people who are blind or partially sighted about their experiences uh, as a way to kind of educate parents. And it was fantastic. And we kind of realized after the fact that this would be a great podcast. (laughs) So we're going to do it all again for you now. And I have the same individuals with me here, Keisha, Nina, and Acacia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Why, thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to go through this again and answer the same questions, but I know our listeners will benefit a lot. So this episode is probably of particular interest to parents, but I think uh, it would be interesting to anybody actually. So don't turn us off. (laughs) All right. So why don't we start by having each of you introduce yourselves a little bit about your eye condition. I also asked you to talk a little bit about what you like to do. So give us a picture of who you are and, and what you enjoy doing and how you see. So I am Nina, I'm 17 and I'm in grade 12. So school keeps me very busy. Um, In my free time, I really enjoy reading, uh, listening and playing music. I play the cello and I love to ski and I am from Vernon, BC. And my eye condition is Stargardt's disease, which is a genetic condition that basically causes the cells in my retina to degrade and so I don't have any central vision and I started losing my vision around age 10 basically if anything isn't right up close to my face I can't see it so I struggle with distance details and depth perception um hi so I'm Acacia I'm also 17 and in grade 12 um I have ocular cutaneous albinism so I have trouble seeing distance and detail um when there's glare, it's really hard for me to see. So when there's bright light, but also when there's low contrast, um, and then also depth perception is hard for me. I love to read. I love to write. Um, I do theater. That's really fun. I play piano. And then um, I also like to hike and kayak sometimes. Hi, I'm Keisha. Um, I am 23 and in grade 18. Uh, <laughs> and no, I actually just graduated university last year. Um, and my visual condition is retinitis pigmentosa. Um, I have been losing my sight since I was a little child. Um, in a probably, well, probably all my life, really. 
And uh, at this point, I have pretty much uh, the ability to see like the difference between light and shadow, few colors if there's good contrast and shapes, but mainly light and shadow. Um, so yeah, my I grew up as a cane user. Um, I actually work with a guide dog now and um, braille, braille reader, all that good stuff. Um, in my spare time, I like to be outside doing whatever I can outside in the nature and hiking, paddling, you, you name it. I like to try it. Um, so yeah, and I like to play music as well. We, we're a little musical gang. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So the first question, when did you first realize that you had a disability and how did you feel about that? Acacia, let's go with you first. Um, so I was born with albinism. Actually, right when I was born, the doctor said to my parents, your child has a rare genetic condition. And they were like, what? And then, so they were actually kind of relieved when they found out it was my vision. But um, um, yeah, so I've had, like my vision hasn't gotten any worse over my life. It's actually gotten a little bit better just because like your brain sort of starts to adapt to it, I guess, with albinism. But um. I don't know, like I always had glasses and it was just always sort of a part of my life. Okay. So Acacia, there wasn't a moment when you kind of understood, like you've always sort of understood that you had trouble seeing. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't, I don't think there was really a specific moment because it was sort of like always part of my life. Like I always like with my albinism too, I always had to have like the sunglasses and the hat and the sunscreen and the, like, there was never a time really where I was like, felt like a quote unquote normal kid in that mm -hmm. respect. Mm -hmm. And then like it changed. So I don't know, that might've made it easier for me in a way mm. because just growing up with that. Uh, Nina, how about you? Well, so as I mentioned, I only started to lose my vision when I was about 10. So it was very apparent from the beginning that I was different and that something, something's a little off here. And that, definitely created some insecurities but for the most part I didn't feel negative about it about having a disability in fact I thought it was kind of cool because I was I was different from everybody else and I don't know I thought it was unique and I actually liked it love that okay uh Keisha how about you so I think um my kind of an earlier memory that I have is like when I was probably around four or so, um, having an O&M instructor, I'm pretty sure that's what she was, <laughs> uh, now that I like reflect on it, um, come in and bring me like my first cane. Mm. Um, I like my little tiny first little um, mobility cane and kind of like showing, you know, showing techniques on how to like use it and kind of starting to uh, get into that and kind of, you know, it's not like my siblings had a cane or anything. So I guess that was different, but I don't remember really noticing the differences that bad, like that much until I got to school and, you know, kids are, kids are wild. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they definitely like to point out, uh, differences. Um, like, and uh, like when, when they're really young, I, I feel like kids are pretty good at like kind of just being like, oh yeah, we're all kind of the same. We all might look different, but we're all like, we're just kids, we're just having fun. But then the kids start to notice, oh wait, that's not how it's supposed to be. Oh wait, that's different. And then you start to notice it too. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably what started to happen there. What have your parents done that has helped you in regards to your disability? 
Keisha, let's start with you for this one. Um, well, I was, I mentioned, um, during the panel discussion, um, that, so my, one thing my, my mom did, my parent, um, she really like tried to like have me hold me accountable for my, for my life. Like it, it wasn't like, Oh, you're, you're blind. Oh, don't worry. You don't have to do as many chores or, Oh, don't worry. Like I'll, I'll just do that for you or whatever. Like there was a certain degree of adaptation that happened for sure in the household to make sure it was accessible and whatnot. Um, but it was like, Oh, like, Oh, I dropped something on the floor. I can't find it. We'll feel around for it. Or like, you know, it's not like, like it was like, okay, well, you still got to go do chores and like still, you know, you're part of the household. So like, it's, you know, that kind of stuff I found was really good because it was like, there wasn't, it wasn't like a bunch of slack was given. And I think that was really important. And, um, and just like kind of letting me explore and, you know, um, trip over stuff and like, you know, figure my way around. That was, that was good stuff that happened early on. And of course she, she too gets protective. Um, and like, you know, would do the whole, oh, stop, stop, stop. Like if I'm like sprinting towards like a sign post or something, <laughs> um, even to this day, I'll be like walking down the street and about to like run into something and she's like, ah, and I'm like, stop, <laughs> that's not helping <laughs> anyway. But you know, it's the loving, it's the loving parental thing. Right. So I think those are probably my answers at the moment. Uh, Nina, how about you? I think the biggest thing was that they never treated me differently when I started to lose my vision. Like their behavior towards me never changed. Like they didn't baby me. They didn't treat me differently from my brother. And I mean, looking back, I'm sure that they were probably freaking out because like, wow, this kid of ours is now going blind. And what do we do with that? And they had little to no exposure to blindness before that, but they did, they did that kind of privately almost. And they kept their relationship with me very normal. And they always encouraged me to be very, very independent, which was amazing. They put a lot of effort into buying me adaptive technology because, well, I should explain at the time, my family was living in South Africa. That's where we're from. So I lost my vision while I was there. And there is, there's a lot less support for disabled kids than there is here. And my parents decided to keep me in mainstream schooling instead of sending me to the school for the blind, which is what pretty much everyone would do. And that was like revolutionary. And I think that helped me to also be more independent and more confident in my blindness because they treated it like it was normal. Uh, Acacia, how about you? I think um, sort of not letting me as a kid just be like, oh, I can't do this or I don't want to do this because of my vision. Like if my family would like go hiking or whatever, they'd be like, "Uh, no, you're coming. And I'd have to like take someone's arm to walk downhill or whatever. But just like making sure, I guess, that I didn't shut doors myself because of my vision. And then also, like, when I was younger, I was like, sports, that's going to be my thing, which was, I mean, I was so bad at all of them. But the <laughs> point was that they they let me do them, and they, they weren't, like, all freaked out, like, oh, no, you're going to get hurt playing on a sighted team for ring at. They, like, helped me find ways 
to make it work for me. Like I remember my mom sitting me down when I first started playing and she had like a little whiteboard and she was explaining all the rules for me so I could see or like um, just like little adaptive things like um, playing piano. I used to have a harder time seeing the sheet music. So my mom like bent down the music stand and like put a cardboard box on it and would like clip my books on top of that. So they were right in my face and just like they found lots of little ways to sort of make it so that I could just be a kid and live my life and not, you know, just making sure that I had opportunities and experiences that other kids had. Okay. What skills or personality traits have helped you navigate as a person who is blind or partially sighted? Uh, Keisha. Yeah. So I think, um, some really good traits are like resilience is a good trait, um, to, to develop, um, because like the world just, just the reality is like the world is not made for, you know, um, it's, it's kind of made for a very certain type of person quite often. Um, and it doesn't always involve people with mobility issues or people, uh, you know, with vision issues or, or also there's a, there's a lot of different people who are kind of excluded from that. So for that reason, like being able to adapt when there seems to be a barrier, um, to access or a barrier to something, um, because it's never going to be just barrier free. So being able to adapt, um, being able to problem solve is really key. Um, and, and just like, if you do get rejected or knocked down, like having the resilience to be able to stand back up and say, no, I'm not giving up right now. Like that's, uh, you know, I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep trying to come up with solutions or, or I'm just going to like, I'm not going to let it hit me at my core and make me feel like I'm a really, you know, unworthy person. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing. And also the, like, I think a really, a really good skill is to try to like, to have a level of, of, um, being able to reframe and like, you know, of course, you know, not every day people can just be like, Oh yes, the sun is shining. It's wonderful. Uh, I love it all. Um, we all have bad days, but I think just being able to reframe and be like, you know what, that particular thing kind of sucked. Um, I'm feeling kind of mm, not happy about these circumstances today, but here's some things that were good, or here's how it could be different. And, or like, here's the things I'm grateful for. Um, I think that that's all part and parcel with resilience too. So that's probably what I would say. Um, and then, oh yeah. And having a good sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I think if you can like, if you can laugh at things and, and joke and joke at things when the time is appropriate, I, I think that's, that can be really helpful. Um, but yeah. Uh, Acacia. I think, yeah, definitely having a sense of humor is really important. Like realistically, you're going to get into situations that are embarrassing. Like, you know, I, I mean, this is partly a me problem, but I'll like, I walk into door frames, like the open doors at school all the time, or like I bump into things at work or just like situations that like, I guess could be embarrassing, but if you're laughing at yourself, then it's sort of, you know, then you can sort of make other people feel comfortable with it. And it's, it's not a thing that you have to be like, you know, embarrassed about or whatever. Like I, you know, I find that like, personally I I'm more willing to like tell people about my vision that like I don't know super well just because like I'd rather 
they know that I have vision and they understand like why I do certain things. Like, I guess like having, you know, having a sense of humor and being open about it has helped me a lot. Not that that, you know, necessarily is going to work for everyone, but um, also problem solving because like at school and at work or whatever, coming to people with solutions that you've already come up with, even if they're not, you know, perfect solutions, but being able to say like, rather than just, this is the problem, fix it for me. This is the problem. This is what I'm thinking about doing about it. This is how you could help me with it. What do you think? Um, I found that like the results and the help I get from that are a lot better. Yes. Uh, Nina. I would second all of that. And I think most of the skills are kind of skills that everybody needs to learn, almost just an augmented version of that. And one thing that I would add is learning to stand up for yourself and knowing your worth. Because unfortunately, like Keisha said, you will get into situations where the world is not designed for you and people will not be understanding. And I mean, it's easier said than done because especially as a child or a teenager, you're already like struggling probably with your sense of self, but to be able to advocate for yourself and just to have the knowledge that you have the right to equal access and you can tell people, no, I want this, or can we do this differently? That, that will help any blind person and any person in general in their life. And I think another thing that I mentioned at the panel was that this is kind of just maybe just me, but I'm really stubborn and that has helped me because it makes me really determined to like prove people wrong because I think that a lot of people see blind and visually impaired people as helpless and not able to do anything for themselves so I kind of put my all into learning O&M and advocacy and stuff. And that's been helpful for me. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> Can relate to the stubborn. And um, yeah, I was thinking about parents, you know, making sure that your kids know when something isn't, when somebody isn't accommodating or inclusive, that it's not that there's anything wrong with you as the person who's blind, it's the system is yeah. broken here, right? Like you are perfect just the way you are. And it sucks that this particular thing is not welcoming you. Like, yeah. Cause I think we internalize it a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. What services or supports have made the biggest impact in your life? So I think, um, a big one to talk about is like orientation and mobility training. Um, so when, you know, parent, <laughs> talk, uh, when your child is in the school system, orientation and mobility training is part of like the expanded core curriculum. Um, and I can't speak too much of that because I'm not a vision teacher or a specialist in any way, but um, basically orientation mobility skills are the skills that are going to really help your child or anyone with a visual impairment um, be able to navigate safely and effectively around their, through their surroundings and uh, with independence or, you know, um, just it, it opens a lot of doors and, you know, in life, you, you got to be able to get places. And um, 
And so like having a, a strong focus on orientation mobility, um, that's that like whenever you can, it's, it's I mean, I, I value it highly in, in my education as I grew up. And even now, like I don't uh, see like a, a, an O&M specialist as much now that I'm older, but there are resources out there. And also the skills that I learned growing up, like I can still use with my friends, even when I'm like in a new environment, I'm like, okay, well, I need to, I need your help to point out landmarks. I need your help to kind of map out my new neighborhood or whatever. So that's, that's a big one I would talk about. There's so many things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think school services are amazing because when my family moved back to Canada, when I was in grade seven or eight, it was like, wow, there are actually support services here. There are people that care and give me IEPs and fun things for me. And that was amazing. And so like, you know, Canada's school system and support, it's not perfect, but we are pretty lucky here. And Mm. like, for example, I now have a Mac and an iPad Pro that I do pretty much all of my work on and I'm pretty much completely independent and that my parents didn't have to buy that themselves. So that's amazing. And the other really big thing is adaptive sports. So for me, I learned to ski when I was a little kid and since I lost my vision in South Africa and then moved back, I kind of had to relearn skiing when I was about 13. And I was able to do that through Silver Star Mountains Adaptive Snow Sports Program. And within two years, I was training with the Vernon Ski Club, Hmm. which it's like, it's amazing to think about because if I hadn't lost my vision, I probably never would have gotten this into skiing like even right now I am currently in Kimberley at the Canadian Adaptive Snow Sports Festival like doing race training and meeting a bunch of other disabled skiers and it's not just skiing it's so many sports there are options for any disabled person and it's quite amazing. Acacia what about you? I mean firstly Blind Beginnings like I was um when I was a little kid, I got to be a part of it for a couple of years, but then my family moved out of the lower mainland. Um, and then just a couple of years ago when there was like the online youth leader training, I got to get reinvolved with it. And just like, first of all, the advocacy skills and stuff. Um, but just also like, you know, getting to see like older youth who'd been like had all these successes and done all these cool things was really inspiring and also connecting with kids my own age, um, you know, like some of my really good friends I met through Blind Beginnings. Um, and then also there's um, this organization called NOAA for um, people with albinism. And um, I got to meet a bunch of a bunch of teens around my age who had like the same thing as me. Um, and just like getting to connect with kids who also are like going through some of the same things and just getting to talk about that stuff was really cool. And also just sort of realizing like, it sort of helped me, I guess, be more social in lots of situations, like outside of just that, because realizing that like, oh, without all these like visual cues that I'm normally not able to see, 
you know, I can actually be a lot friendlier or whatever. So that was really helpful. Also my TVI that I've just had for the last couple of years. Um, we meet like once or twice a month. Um, and she just sort of helps me with like whatever problems relating to vision that have come up recently, you know, like over the past couple of years, she's helped me look at like, um, college stuff relating to vision or like if there's a problem I'm having with a certain class or whatever, um, I can just send her an email and, you know, she'll like help me work through that, which has been really cool. Um, and then just lastly, when I was younger, um, I played ringette and now theater. So like I had enough vision that I was able to play on a sighted ringette team and just being a part of a community like that, where like people are like, it's not always going to work out like this, but like with team sports or with theater or whatever, where there's just a group of people that are like, they work together and they're understanding and they're just willing to be accommodating and like, don't treat you any different. And just finding a community like that was really, really helpful and really cool um, in, in both contexts. Yeah. What do you find to be the most challenging aspect of being blind or partially sighted? Um, that's a, that's a juicy question. <laughs> yes. There's yes, it is. a lot of things. <laughs> I think one of the most difficult things in my life has been that it's very isolating because so often you are the only blind or visually impaired person in whatever community you're in. And some of that was my fault because when I was younger, I kind of resisted blind programming and stuff. But even so, just it can be difficult when you're trying to figure out life growing up. And then on top of that, you have this like weird, complicated visual impairment thing that you have to explain to people and it gets exhausting. And also being visually impaired, I feel I deal with a lot of imposter syndrome because I'm not totally blind. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not really blind. I'm not really deserving of that. I don't, I don't get to be a part of that community, but I do. You're not totally blind and you're not totally sighted. So there's kind of that dynamic too of not fitting completely yeah. and perfectly in either case. Yeah. Uh, Acacia, how about you? Um, the one that sticks out to me the most is probably not being able to drive. Yes. Which is like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like, I think in like more urban areas, it's less of a problem. But the place that I live, the transit system is not amazing and it's not very walkable and it's like very cold winters and very hot summers. So getting places without a car has not been incredibly fun. Like, mm -hmm. you know, busing to work every day gets rather exhausting um, when, you know, the transit system is not super frequent. Um, the other thing would probably be like reading and homework and work like that takes me so much longer um, because anything with like long texts or anything doing online just takes me a lot longer to do. So homework that would take most people maybe half an hour takes me like two, three hours, um, mm -hmm. which is yep. just kind of frustrating. You know, just finding ways to make time for all of that. I would agree. Um... The driving thing is one of the things that has always given me like 
or like at least in, in from my teen years onward has given me probably a lot of like um you know a bit of sadness just because it's like oh like that would make yeah. life so much easier um and I think like you know it's just it, it comes to me and I think I agree with Acacia like I I also grew up in a in a town where driving you kind of needed to drive around or get a ride um and even where I live now it's like you definitely it would be easier to drive and it's also kind of like a subculture like when you're a teen like when you're 16 it's like oh right on let's go driving like let's go yeah everyone gets their licenses yeah yeah totally so um so that was that was hard but um but you know workable for sure and um I think for me I've always I've always really struggled with like with the stereotypes um and the assumptions that I have encountered uh from other people quite often and um and sometimes even from myself actually um which is always the worst because then it's like you have to kind of confront that within yourself but um outwardly stereotypes like you know when you're when people just kind of like they meet you and they assume like uh oh you just you're blind so you just won't be able to you just won't be able to keep up or you just won't be able to do this job or you just won't be able to like do, do this assignment this way or uh or like any anything like that right and I remember reaching out to like a a hiking club last year because I was like oh cool I want to get more into my extracurriculars with these with you know some more locals and get to know people and I remember sending out a very lovely email and saying I'm really excited and I'm really I'm a pretty good hiker and just wanted to meet people and yeah 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 and oh yeah I'm visually impaired as well and I uh you know I have a guide dog and da 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 but you know making sure that wasn't the main point and then of course the response was like oh um well, I, we, we don't have any attendance or anyone to take care of you. So, um, no, you, uh, we don't really like politely saying like, we don't really want you to come out. Um, and of course that put me on an absolute rampage, um, of frustration. Um, but then, then of course I do encounter lots of people who are like, yeah, totally. Like just jump on in, like, come on in and we'll do it. But I just, it, it, it blows my mind because I know how, capable I am and I'm just like if people could just could just immediately assume capability instead of incapability um as their first assumption I think that would be really cool um and that would be like a totally different mindset and way way more productive and then um you know we can advocate and problem solve with you as to how things might need to be adapted or, you know, things like that. But, you know, it's just, it's so, it's so harmful to just assume that there is an inability to do stuff um, or that it has to be like, you know, uh, simplified or something like that. Like mm-hmm. the reality about accessibility is it helps everyone too. Um, doesn't just help the person who, you know, the, the visually impaired person who needs it or whoever is the person who needs it. it. It helps us all. So I think, yeah, the stereotypes have been really challenging. And I think um, the, so unsolicited help that yeah. can be really, really frustrating. Um, I know we had a really good talk about that as well. Um, and what can really, what, what can happen when you're out and about with, whether you're with a cane or a guide dog, if you look lost or something, or even if you don't look lost, like I've, I've been walking very confidently and I've had people run up to me and grab me mm-hmm. and manipulate my body to, to go in a direction or to do something without asking consent first. 
And I just cannot fathom how people think that's okay. Yeah. Like you, yeah. you really need to ask before you touch somebody. Um, and we, and it's great. Sometimes I do need help. So like I'll, I've, I've asked people on the street if they would help me or if, uh, but if you politely go up and say, Hey, you know, would you like some assistance? And then I have the opportunity to say yes or no. And then, you know, it's, it's a very respectful and polite encounter and it's not alarming because, you know, what, what if you're not just running up and grabbing me to help me? What if you're running up to attack me? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. So, um, unsolicited help can be, can be challenging. And, and sometimes I felt kind of patronized by it because it's like, I have had people like use baby talk or, um, or like talk louder or something. And I, I like just, Mm-hmm. like it's really it 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 cuts into our, um our dignity like it's mm-hmm. you know we we are people <laughs> and we deserve to be treated as such so you know it's not it's just like I would say like you know a, a approach with consent in mind and with respect in mind very well said <laughs> yes 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 I did make the point at the retreat because all of you spoke about driver's license being a real challenge and you all live in smaller communities and I live in Metro Vancouver and I never really think about it. I mean, maybe if it's like a particularly miserable rainy day, although that's pretty normal in Vancouver, (laughs) (laughs) but we have an excellent accessible transit system and having the SkyTrain and it's walking distance from my house. Like, honestly, I, I rarely feel frustrated that I can't drive. So I think it does have a lot to do with where you live and how good transit is where you live. Um, and personality too. Like it would be terrifying to drive for me. Maybe that's because I live in the city. Like that's just chaos, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I feel like for me too, like just being able to go for a drive into the bush to go like for a cool hike or something like that would be such a treat, um, to be able to do that on my own. But so I make do by trying to make friends who (laughs) will give me a ride. (laughs) It's true. Like when I've stayed in Vancouver with family, the sky trains there and I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so much easier and frequent and it talks and <laughs> like it sticks all the boxes. Okay. So my final question, uh, although I could end up with some bonus questions, but, um, I want to, wanted to sort of end on a positive ish. What is something that sighted people do that makes you feel comfortable and included? I love, like, I think about my, my closest friends and family who, who do like, and what they do, um, that makes me feel really comfortable. And I think it's like letting me be and explore and do the things that I like to do within reason. And, and I'm a smart person. So I, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to throw myself off the cliff unless I have a bungee cord attached, but there's, um, <laughs> <laughs> literally, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so like, I like when they just kind of ignore that I, you know, my stumbling or like, you know, if I run into something, it's kind of like, it's not like, oh my God, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's like either they'll laugh because it was funny and they're my friends or they'll just ignore it. And mm-hmm. I, those are my favorite when I just like run into something. Cause I just like, oh my God, oh my God. I, I have to now I have to pretend like I'm so Okay. Um, and I just don't really feel like doing that right now because I don't, but I don't, but I have to do it if they acknowledge because then I'm like, 
yeah, it's just all those little weird thoughts go through my head. But then if they ignore, I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's okay. I can just run into things and be myself. Um, and then, <laughs> or like they'll, instead of being like, um, mm, I don't know if this hike might be too hard for you with your vision. It's, it's more like, no, let's do it. In fact, let's do the difficult one. Like, <laughs> and like, let's, yeah, like let's scramble and let's do all this. So I, I think just like, just kind of being like, like allowing us the opportunity to, for us to say no, if we don't think it's safe or if we don't, um, you know, want to do something rather than you saying, oh no, you can't do that. Because if I'm afraid of something, I'm, I'm going to say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if I don't think it's safe, I'm, I'm going to say no. Like, you know, but if I think I can do it, let's do it. Yeah. Love that. Um, yeah. I think just when people treat me with a lot of respect and they treat me like I am normal because I am. And like Keisha said, like kind of including me in conversations when it comes to deciding something about my visual impairment, like asking me what I think we can do to make something accessible or do I feel safe to do something? And getting back to the unsolicited help, when people clearly understand that help is something you offer and not something you enforce because I think many of the people who say try to grab us think that they are being really helpful and they have good intentions but they want to be the hero and what we really need is just someone who offers something like I think what I mentioned at the panel was I was walking down the street with my cane one day, came to the crosswalk. This man came up to me and he said very kindly, hello, would you like any assistance crossing the street? And I said, no, thank you. And he said, okay, have a wonderful day. And I was like, yes, yes, that was so amazing. He treated me like a human. It's so simple and so wonderful. Yeah. It's kind of sad that you got to celebrate that one, but you really do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also just when my friends or family will like point things out to me that they think I'd like, for example, like Braille or something, or like my one friend is currently traveling in Europe and she sent me these pictures because I can see pictures. She sent me pictures of this museum where they have braille explanations under each painting. And then they also have like these tactile displays of what's on each painting. Oh, cool. And it just, it warms my heart when people make effort to point that kind of thing out to me. Mm -hmm. I think just the little things where like, like a lot of the time it's with the people that you know really well, that they just sort of like, they help you in ways that like they act like it's normal and like it's not a big deal like when I'm like in the hallway with my friends at school and someone's like walking down the hallway and I don't see them they'll just sort of like casually like like grab me out of the way and like without being like either like babying me or being like embarrassed that I'm like totally in the way you know it's just like a casual thing or like like knowing that like they can laugh with me when I like walk into a door or whatever because I mean it's funny um and also just things like like when I'm walking with people and the ground's really uneven because I don't use a white cane once in a while I'll just be like oh can I take your arm and it's not a big deal you know 
and then it's like like because it's not like like I'm incapable it's just like I'd rather not fall down can I take your arm and it's not a big Mm -hmm. deal and then it's done and it's fine Mm um also just when people have questions like I don't mind asking answering questions like I feel like I'm pretty open about it but just simply saying can I ask you a question about your vision yeah like saying that first like it sounds like a little thing Mm. but it means a lot so true um, well, I also wanted to add kind of on to Acacia's uh, thought there um, and, and add a little bit of my own thought too, um, which is like, I, I'm happy to educate and I'm happy to um, advocate, you know, um, but I also really find it refreshing when people on the street, because I mean, I'll get, you know, I get a thousand questions a day about guide dogs and a thousand questions a day about blindness. Uh, when I'm out in the public and I, I find it really refreshing when someone comes up to me and just asks me about my day or like my life <laughs> or, Oh, um, you know, I noticed you're wearing, a, uh, whatever t-shirt, uh, that's cool. Like, um, I'm into that too, or whatever, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. and I just kind of like, it's nice to connect on not just a blindness level. Um, yeah. and so I really appreciate that. But on the other token, an- another thing I wanted to mention too was, I really like when like blindness related items or like braille and stuff like that is kind of just seen as a norm. Like I know I, I was really fortunate to how to live with some of my really good friends for a couple of years. And like, we just braille just kind of started becoming like a part of our household. And it wasn't like weird. It wasn't like, wow, look at us. We have braille. Cool. It was just like, yep, there's, there's a braille fridge magnets that we made together with silly words um, on the fridge. And like, there's like, you know, tactile stuff on the stove and we just, it's just how it is. Like, it's not anything weird. It's nothing crazy. And it's just like, that's, that's how we do in this house. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's nice. It's, it's that whole acceptance thing. Like not just, um, I guess not just accepting it, but embracing it in a way like into, into the culture. It's nice. One thing I really like is when people will point something out to me that is kind of tactile or, or something that I could appreciate. Um, if I'm somewhere like a tourist somewhere, or I don't know, just some, because there's so much, I do sometimes feel like I miss out on being able to see what everyone else is looking at. So if there are things that are tactile that are interesting and different I'm I'd love to check those out but I think it's more than that it's also like it definitely when I was a teenager I felt some embarrassment from people sometimes of like and and mostly myself but I I think I picked up on this from others in my life as well so like we're not going to draw attention to your disability and obviously pulling you over to this thing to touch is going to do that whereas now I think when people do make a point of saying hey do you want to check this out it lets me know that they're not embarrassed of my blindness and you know that they want me to be part of the experience which feels pretty great yeah Thank you so much, all of you, for sharing and opening up and being honest about all of this. I think it'll be really helpful to parents especially, but to everybody, actually. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us.
You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast, like, subscribe, leave us a rating if you like the podcast only, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.